The Sports Career Podcast, episode 272. How can curiosity support your sports career development? Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. Now as always my goal each week is to provide you a sport industry professional in a specific area in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports business. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, if you really enjoy these podcasts and you don't want to miss an episode, make sure you subscribe. And also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, make sure you leave a honest review and a rating. I appreciate your support and super grateful. So hit that subscribe button now and take action. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's podcast special guest is Jamie Core. Jamie is a sports marketing and communications consultant. Jamie has a fascinating sports industry CV, where he's worked with many organisations within the sports industry, such as the IOC, Red Bull, IMG, and even being a board member of Basketball Scotland. So for that reason, it's such a joy to have Jamie on the show. That's when today's episode, Jamie will share his sports career journey and also share with you how you can use your curiosity to support your sports career development. Jamie, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Uh, so it started uh, back in 2003 uh, when I joined a charity called Football Aid in Edinburgh. Um, so this was my first role in sport after graduating um, from the University of Stirling, where I'd done a sports marketing master's. The Football Aid's a, a charity where people are allowed to bid to play at their football clubs. So, you know, it was a really, was, to be honest, my first experience of purpose in sport. And it was a small organisation created by a Scottish entrepreneur. So I owe a lot to Craig Patterson and, and Football Aid's still, still going and it's very strong, actually. So I'm speaking to them quite a lot at the moment about what their plans are for the future. Awesome. Just going back in time, because I know there's probably sports students listening in. Sure. Looking back now, because you have worked with some other great companies, by the way, but just going back, how has that education supported you to where you are today? Yeah, so look, I'll, I'll take a step back as well. So you know, my undergrad degree was history. And, you know, I'm probably chose that because that was what I was good at at school. I went to university, played a lot of sport, had the opportunity to actually study a sports studies master's. So that allowed me to really see sport as a business and how sport transcends into different areas like law, sociology, sports history, sports finance, sports marketing. When I graduated, I actually went into accountancy and finance, but to be quite frank, Ed, didn't enjoy it and had a chance meeting of my tutor who when I was an undergrad for sports studies who told me about this fantastic new master's that was going to take place at Stirling Uni and that was really 
you know, I took that opportunity. I was, I was in a good position where I was able to do it. Um, my grandfather was really kind to me and, and funded it. Um, and that was my first opportunity to really look at sport as a business, but also sport as an academic platform. So that, that was the foundation that I had going into sport. And just on that point of the financial experience you didn't enjoy, there's always something I do say is notifying when you don't enjoy something and notifying to yourself when you do enjoy something. How important is that? Uh, I know it's state the obvious question, but a lot of people may grind out being accounted and end up 10 or 20 years down like, and this is really what I didn't want to do. So looking back now, how grateful were you for that experience with regards to then doing something you do enjoy now? Yeah, hugely appreciative of it, Ed. And I think that that would certainly be, if I'm ever giving advice to younger generations, is really follow your passion because I think you can sort of take the route, the easy route, which is potentially I'm going to earn a lot of money in banking or investment banking. But really, you have to follow your passion. And it's easy to say that, but you've got to be quite disciplined in your approach. And I know this is an area that you're very passionate about. But, you know, when you say discipline, you know, really look at how do you get that career in sport? How do you structure when you start networking when you're young? You know, what topics should you be learning and experiencing? Um, it is challenging. You know, a lot of people want to work in sport. And then just the final bit that I did want to mention, as, as much as I didn't enjoy accounting and finance as a, as a future career, you know, going back almost 20 years ago, some of the learnings that I experienced then are still are very, very salient and relevant to now. Um, and what I would say is, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this during the pod, continuous learning is imperative. But also everything you've learned before is essential as well. So I've never, ever shirked away from using some of the experience and that I learned when I was when I was a banker or an accountant. And just going back from a, you know, educational standpoint, I assume your history, you know, original degree has had relevance now. So from a skill set perspective, I'd love to tap into that because really quickly, I've had people on my podcast going, I did geography, I did history. And it's amazing how the skill of research has helped me in the data analytics or looking at spreadsheets from making decisions. I'm talking about sports industry professionals. I'm going, so for anybody listening in going, I haven't got the sports undergrad degree like I had from Durham, but you can still do a master's, but you can still apply the skills in history or geography into the sports industry. I just don't want people to think that can't be applied. It definitely can. I love your thoughts on that looking back. And I'll put you on the spot with regards to your history degree, but how has that supported you from a skill set perspective of that subject matter? Do you know, I think the key thing Ed, is, is discipline. You know, when I was, I mean, history was, was a passion of mine when I was younger. And, you know, it was the topic that I was good at at school. And then when you go into university, there is a discipline to it. You know, there's a lot of research, like you mentioned. You've got to be a good writer. You've got to be analytical, like you said. You know, pick and choose what's relevant. What I would also say is, you know, when I was lucky enough to join the IOC and travel the world, it almost rekindled my passion for history and where I started reading about the countries I was traveling to and learning about history. And to be honest, there's an element of cultural understanding when you're traveling to Japan or Korea and understanding what the history of those countries were. I remember going to the World Cup in Russia in 2018 and, and just I did Russian history as a module at uni and just buying a short history of Russia to read on the plane on the way over to the World Cup. Now, it wasn't relevant to the job I was doing, but it just rekindled that thinking, you know, understanding Russia as a country, which is all interlinked 
to how you deal with different cultures. So almost two parts to the answer to that question. <laughs> and really quick with the Russia example, I found that fascinating. How did it help you from a communication standpoint? The one that I've learned on this podcast that we all, especially cult, country perspective, every commute slightly, uh, communicates slightly differently. And yeah. I think when you do understand a culture or be mindful of culture, you can communicate better to their needs in that environment. Did, did that ever happen out of interest? I'm just curious. It, it did because, you know, there is an element of, if you understand the history and the culture, you know how business is, is, is done. You know, every country is different. You know, Russia is different to Japan, which is different to China, which is different to Korea. The other thing I would say is, you know, knowing about the country, if you're out for dinner or you're having small talk before a meeting, and you know the country or you know certain things about the country and the history, the culture, it shows that you've actually, you know, taken the time and you've not just turned up from another country. You know, you're from the UK or you're from the US and it's almost a transactional business meeting. It's that little bit of emotional intelligence to show that you're actually willing to understand about them as a, as a, as a nation or even as individuals. Uh, you know, none of it's rocket science, you know. You say it is a rocket science, but some people, as you say, could be going to there to do the transaction instead of doing that rapport building. So from your experience, how important is rapport building with the line of work you've done, particularly in the sport business side of things? It's hugely important. And I think what's really interesting about it is it is a skill set that needs to be developed and enhanced and learned. Not everyone is good at it. Uh, and I wouldn't say that everyone needs to be good at it. It is an intangible skill, but relationships, networking with credibility and authenticity is really important. And everyone can build those skills, but it, but it just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of work. Also, an understanding that not every individual or every organization is the same. You know, there's different cultures, there's different people, there's different mindsets. And one of the things you really need to do is, is take a step back, do your research, and when you have meetings, really understand who it is, who, who's your audience, you know, um, but be authentic and credible when, when, when you, when you then have the meeting or when you engage with people. Absolutely. And one thing I want to touch on before we move forward, after you've done your uh, sport masters at the University of Stirling, like, was there a particular sector you had a real interest in then with us to moving forward? I know you started at Football Aid, maybe was that just to get the foot in the door, but with regards to niching down an area that you want to go into and then hopefully specialise in. Did you have a lot more clarity after that experience? You know, Ed, I would say yes. When I was at Football Aid, I started getting a real interest in sports PR and communications. You know, as we talk through um, certain points in the podcast, there may be a change in what my focus has been, but I got a real interest in you know, Football Aid, how did they communicate to the people that may want to donate to the charity and play uh, on the pitch with, with former professionals? You know, how did you go to, and this was very traditional communications, you know, just at, at the outset of, of digital and social. So it was, you know, what is the angle where you speak to a journalist to actually talk about what Football Aid is doing as a charity, but also create a story around the football club as well. So I would say that my first focus was sports, PR and comms, but probably in a very traditional sense, like I said, you know, this is going back almost 18 years ago now. So the world has evolved and, and changed exponentially since then. And also just from that first experience, 
I'm a bit old school. You just got to get that foot in the door. And then when you're in that environment, things open up, you meet new people. That's what I experienced when I was at um, Soccer X that led to benchmark of my two internships and then led me to doing this with all the podcast episodes. But I've learned when you're in, then you could figure out, as long as you have an interest in the company you're working with and have a real desire to learn in that environment, it can open up doors. Did you have that experience that led to opportunities like a domino effect afterwards? Because I'm trying to paint the picture to the listeners of, from my experience and a lot of people have interviewed, that's how it works. And then you can branch out into more specialised companies or, or roles that you want to pursue in, if that makes sense. Yeah, look, it's a really good question. And, and I... I am definitely one of those people that think, you know, once you get into an organization, you need to open your mind and you need to learn from different different parts. I mean, if you get into an organization, especially if you're a graduate, you get your foot in the door, you know, you've not had experience of an organization before. You may think that you want to focus on PR and comms or sponsorship. But I actually realize once you get in, do you know what? I actually have a passion for media or have a passion for the commercial side of the business or as we look ahead now into data and analytics and the future of strategic marketing with within sports organizations so you know always be open-minded to the experience once you get in there I mean that that would be the best advice and I think you know just to sort of round round off on this answer um you know when you're looking for jobs sometimes you need to be very tailored in your response to that particular job advert or the conversation you might be having with the recruitment consultant. But at the same time, you you almost, once you get into the conversation, you need to show that you've got this broader passion for learning other things and continuous learning. Absolutely. Now I want to tap into your experience side because you've got a really impressive CV. Would you mind just painting the picture from Football Aid and you know, I know you talked about the IOC already and I want to tap into that a bit more, but could you just share the other places you've worked at and what you learned from those different experiences along the way to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. So once I left Football Aid, I went into, it was, it was a pure communications agency called TriMedia, which was based in Edinburgh. And to be honest, it wasn't just sports PR. I was looking after consumer PR, but I had a, a passion for sports PR, so worked on the John Lewis uh, rugby sponsorship of Scotland, the McDonald's football sponsorship of the FAs across the U- UK. And I think what I learned at Trimedia was really that, you know, communications in the sports world is very much like consumer communications, you know, really understanding your audiences, you know, what they want to hear, how do you impact behavioural change through communications. So, that was a really good grounding, a very credible traditional agency, which was not just about sport. I then moved on to in-house within a brand, uh, which was Red Bull. Um, now, what I learned at Red Bull, I mean, Red Bull was a, a fascinating organization back in 2008 when I was there. You know, very innovative, very much pushing itself away from just being a product you know it wasn't just a fizzy energy drink this was really about creating a lifestyle media brand you know very interesting culture very fast culture but very innovative and I certainly think again you know as as some of your listeners are thinking about what they might want to do after graduating or or if they have graduated who they might want to speak to you know Red Bull and businesses or brands like that are a great grounding for 
um, innovation and the future. I then, after Red Bull, worked with, with IMG and MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment, two very different organisations. I mean, what I would say when I was at IMG and what I learned was really about compassion and respect. You know, it's IMG at the time, or, or rather was the sort of creator of sports marketing and Mark McCormack. Um, it's gone through an evolution over the years. You know, it's now been uh, rebranded as 160 over 90. But I learned a lot about big business and sport from a strategic perspective. You know, why brands do big sponsorship deals? How do they bring those to, to life through activations? Um, and it was the same at, at MSC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment. You know, a younger organization to IMG, but you know, created by uh, Steve Martin um, and Jamie Wynn Morgan, who are two sort of trailblazers in sport and entertainment thinking in London. And I was very privileged to get the chance to work there and work on the RBS rugby account in Scotland and, and look after that. So, you know, that sort of first agency experience, even though I'd had Trimedia as a foundation going into the sports world and seeing the different culture of IMG and NC Saatchi was a really good grounding for me and what I would say is you know as as your listeners develop develop their careers it's always good to be mindful of of working at different organizations and getting that experience you know I think a lot of people talk about the traditional career that could actually be 20 years and 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 organizations but if you look at the 10 years now of some CMOs you're looking at two and a half years three years so you know so I'm not saying that you should join an organization just for two years and then leave, but there is a lot to sort of, especially when you're young, is getting a feel for different cultures, different structures of organizations, different clients, and that will really allow you to build quite a robust foundation for, for your future career. Just relating to the, sorry to interrupt, just on the foundation no. side, because I, I want to dig deep a little bit from a skill set perspective, like looking back with all that experience, when you talked about the IOC and, and you've got about, which is quite interesting, you're part of Scotland Basketball Board, which I'm really curious of what inspired you to get involved with that, because I'd be really hands up here. I didn't know that Scotland had a basketball team. So you <laughs> taught me something, but with just really quickly going back from all that experience, how has that supported you right now? From different points of view, it could be knowledge, it could be skill sets. I'm just really interested and hope the listeners will learn as much as I will. Yeah, I think, look, from the outset, I, I think the, the key thing really is discipline and hard work. You know, when, when you get a role in sport, uh, you've got to be passionate about it, but then you've also got to deliver, you know, and that that is is pure and simply discipline and hard work. You know, so I would say that that's the, first sort of core, core skill set. The other thing that I would certainly encourage anyone at any level to do is, is networking. Um, now, you know, when I say networking, you, you do it with credibility, you do it with authenticity, and you do it because you want to learn and have fun. And, you know, that sort of will get us in, I guess, to the narrative of curiosity during this podcast, Ed, but I, I know we're, we'll probably move on to that. And, the other, the other part is just continuous learning. So, you know, every organization you're at, you need to learn something. Um, you need to learn from the people you work with. You need to learn from people at a lower level than you. You need to learn from people above you. But you also need to look outside of the organization and how you're actually continuously learning on your own. And that needs to be a discipline in itself as well. 
Um, so I would say that those are probably the three core areas that, that I've certainly built my experience and, and career on over the years. We'll talk about today's podcast topic because I'm eager to talk about it myself, but I do want to talk about your experience on the board with Scotland Basketball, which actually then led to the IOC. So I would like you to sort of merge both of that experience together, particularly on like being in a boardroom, maybe then different to a department. I'd love your thoughts on the difference of that, if that makes sense. Definitely. And look, you know, to be honest, you sort of touched on it. The, the reason that I joined the board of Basketball Scotland was to get more experience around being on a board, learning about governance, you know, learning about patience, learning about different points of view. And basically, I, the reason I was invited to join that board was actually through a, a, a network connection um, who I've become very good friends with. And he he was actually, he was formerly a very senior person at Sports Scotland. Um, and then he became the chairman of Basketball Scotland. Now, you know, I know you joked earlier and, and I'll joke as well. You know, basketball is probably not seen as being the, the, the hotbed of basketball um, globally or in the UK. But you still work with very talented individuals from different disciplines. Now, that board was make, made up of business people or um, sports development people. So that allowed me to get a really broad understanding of how, you know, you govern a sport. Um, as I said, not at the, the most prominent level, but it, it was something that I did voluntary and that I learned a lot from. Um, so, you know, people should always realise that there are those opportunities. You know, you may have young people that are looking for a break in sport. And to be honest, you know, they may know something, someone who's a, a board member and they're looking for someone that could come and provide counsel on social or digital media, uh, media from a strategy perspective. So, you know, it's always, always worth thinking about opportunities like that. You might not get paid millions of dollars, um, but one day, hopefully in your career, when you're older, you may be on a board where there is remuneration. So, And also you're doing the reps as well. I think that's really important. But just on the communication standpoint, did you learn that lesson of, as I mentioned earlier, really briefly, like being on a board, you said your patience and learn about governance. But from a communication standpoint, do you learn that that's a different environment with regards to communication to then you managing a team in a department or or let's say like a, a campaign? Is there a difference or is it very similar? I'm really interested on that point do you know it's probably different ed i mean I, I would always say you know if you step back from any communications you know the core thing is know, know your audience so you know communications is imperative to everything we do on a daily basis now you know if you're sitting within a, a board you need to know how each of those individuals works you know there's diplomacy there's how to deliver messaging how it's packaged, you know, how do you do that as a collective of the board, how it's then filtered down to the organization. Um, you know, if you compare that to managing a team of individuals, the, the communication is probably different, but the discipline and the structure is similar. You know, you need to be organized, you need to understand what the message is, who are you trying to impact, who are you trying to persuade, who are you trying to influence. Awesome. I hope people are taking notes. And really quickly, with regards to the IFC, because I remember from a WhatsApp call we had, you said, Ed, that was one of my favourite roles. Yeah. One why, and 
what did you learn from that particular experience? I know you gave a snapshot of Russia, but like in general, what was your main role there and what did you enjoy the most from it? Yeah, I mean, like I said, <laughs> when we spoke last time, Ed, I mean, it, it's such a privilege to, you know, be offered a role at the International Olympic Committee. Um, and, you know, I, I had a fantastic time there. I, I worked within a division uh, called um, IOC Television and Marketing Services. So that was the um, department that was responsible for generating revenue for the IOC through the top partnerships, which are the major sponsors, um, and also um, the rights holding, uh, or sorry, the, the media rights that are generated through rights holding broad broadcasters. What I learned at the IOC was emotional intelligence, um, was respect for others. You know, you're going into an organization that's diverse and that there's so many different cultures. You know, I think the team that I worked in was made up of Canadians, French, um, Russian, you know, and you meet all these different people from all these different countries. And like I said earlier, Ed, everyone is different in their approach. You know, you need to put yourself in everyone else's position. You know, if you feel that from the UK, you communicate in a certain way, you've almost got to have a bit of discipline and emotional intelligence to realize that the French do the things differently, differently to the Portuguese, to the Brazilians. So, you know, I think I learned a lot of discipline around respect for others, but also the emotional intelligence and, and, and how you interact and engage. And final point on, on the, the role at the IOC was the opportunities to travel. So, you know, when I joined, it was 2013. So I think it was only eight months away from the Sochi uh, 2014 Olympic Games or Winter Olympic Games in Russia you know, met, spent a lot of time there, spent a lot of time in Brazil, a lot of time in Korea, a lot of time in Japan. And again, just that experience of meeting people from these countries and understanding how they do business. You know, it's very easy to be potentially critical of other countries and how they do things. But you've also got to remember that you need to be, well, remember that it doesn't mean it's wrong you know, they may not do things the same way that the Americans do or people from the UK do, but you've got to respect it. Otherwise, you're not going to make progress in planning or marketing or strategy or, or the, the organization of the Olympic Games. So diplomacy is respect and it's, and it's also being just mindful of, of other people's points of view. So Absolutely. I was going to say is it comes down to that creating that win-win effect for every party in that situation, whatever the country. It's just like I've learned on this podcast, Jamie, that culture is huge work in this industry. And it may state the obvious, but even the people I've had on my show around the world, I've learned how to be a bit different. And I think my biggest skill I've learned along the way is listening and yeah. talking more. And that's probably... <laughs> The, the biggest thing from a skill set standpoint. But just moving on to today's podcast topic, because you talked about the, the importance of discipline, the importance of learning with regards to curiosity. But that is today's topic. Like, how important is it for us to all be more curious with regards to our sports career development? I love your thoughts on that. Do you know, Ed, we, we've touched on this a lot. And I, I'd never thought about curiosity being a discipline until I know I speak about this a lot when you and I chat, but Brian Grazer and Charles, Fish, Charles Fishman's book A Curious Mind A Secret to a Bigger Life I remember picking it up 
at an airport when I worked at the IOC and reading it. And, you know, Brian Grazer is a Hollywood producer um, who talks about the fact that his life has been built on curiosity. And it was so simple. You know, he has these curiosity conversations with people from different workplaces, different skill sets, and that allows him to learn about new things. You know, so he said it allows him to get outside of the, the Hollywood world and, and inspire him to be a better person and also inspire him, inspire some of the movies that he's produced and created. And I think what I took from the book was, was just this simplicity of being curious in everything you do, whether it's meeting new people and speaking to them and trying to get something from that conversation. So, you know, the world of sport is evolving rapidly. You, you need to be curious about where it's going. Uh, you need to learn. Um, and, and I guess the curiosity of that learning is, you know, let's take one topic at the moment. Everyone's talking about blockchain. Everyone's talking about cryptocurrency you really have to go away and say, do you know what? I need to dedicate some time to this topic just to learn the basics because it's going to come up in a conversation in sport. And NFT, to... sorry to interrupt, NFT is another one. Exactly, exactly. Now, just on that, you know, every day, Ed, you will read about a football club or a sports personality or athlete who's launched an NFT. Now, I find it a fascinating topic and I'll be quite honest, over the past two weeks, I've, really tried to immerse myself in cryptocurrency and blockchain and NFTs to understand it. Now, you know, I'm never going to be an expert because, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't study computer science. I didn't study AI. I didn't understand data analytics when I was at university, but you've got to be aware of these trends. You've got to look at the horizon. You've got to watch the waves, you know, what is happening, what is relevant, and at least have a grasp of where things are going. So just to conclude on the question, I mean, curiosity is not, it's something that everyone can, can really use as a discipline. But I do, I do say discipline because you've got, to, you've got to allocate time to it, you know, because I think what I've certainly found, you know, the higher up you get within an organization, occasionally get bogged down by the, the, the core things like administration and management and finance, which is imperative. And it's really important. Otherwise, the business won't progress. But you've also got to put time aside to read, to learn, to listen to podcasts, to read articles, to have conversations. You know, now let's go back to Brian Grazer. You know, why shouldn't people have curiosity conversations? Yes, he's a Hollywood producer. He can open the door to anyone from LeBron James to Oprah Winfrey. But to be honest, you can have curiosity conversations, uh, even if you're 18, 19, 20 years old with your peers or have the confidence to maybe reach out to someone to say, look, can I have 20 minutes of your time because I'm interested in this particular topic? Anyway, that was a long answer for you, for you and curiosity. No, just on a practical standpoint, this is where people could get their foot in the door because if they have that curiosity, let's keep it simple, like NFT, and then reach out, let's say you're the case to you with an idea, they're bringing something to the table. And I just want people like, especially graduates or anybody who wants to work, when you bring something to the table, it's sort of like you're creating a partnership, then just ask for a job. Uh, could you just tap on that? Like, I see you nodding your head, but I assume curiosity is just a skill to start those conversations that can open up doors, but by adding value, not for asking, adding value 
through that next step, which is a conversation. Um, hope that makes sense. Just hopefully the listeners can take on board <laughs> of getting experience. I was nodding my head and laughing because, and sorry to keep going back to this book, but, you know, Grazer opens the book talking about how he got into Hollywood producing, right? And basically it was him going to people to say, look, can I have 20 minutes of your time? And it wasn't, I want a job. It was just going and asking questions. But when you have that conversation, you're able to show your smarts, your intelligence. You're not being direct to say, I want a job. But I also like what you're saying, you know, what can you offer that conversation? Do you take an idea along or, or send an idea to, to say, look, have you thought about this? The world has certainly become more meritocratic in that, you know, I, I think I was almost the last generation of hierarchy in businesses. And let's take sports PR, for example. That When I joined the industry, it was all about the more senior you were, the more successful you were, because you knew a journalist who was at this level, right? That's all changed. It's all been flipped in its head. You know, you have got some of the most talented communicators now that are maybe from a Gen Z background, millennial background, who really understand social and digital more than someone at my age, at 45, who can be teaching me. So I think my point is, to your listeners, you know, what can they potentially go and have a conversation with someone like me if they're looking for a job and say, do you know what, I've got an idea. I'd like to run it past you. Can I have 20 minutes of your time for a curiosity conversation? So to sort of circle it back to Brian Grazer's, um, curiosity focus and to answer your question of advice for the listeners think about something and offer it um you know a cv and a resume is imperative and contacts are important but how do you add something that's a little bit different and and is that a creative idea just putting on the spot now this is putting you on the spot now like do you think we're in the world where creating opportunity is just as important than relying on the traditional route of the cv cover letter and drop board that's just as important. But for my experience, I've been more the creating the route and it's just yeah. probably the development of this podcast show, if I'm being really honest to my listeners, but that was a fair few years of building credibility and that discipline. But do you think it's more of a balance now? It's not just the traditional side of things um, of getting your foot in the door and relying on the jobs on the boards, apply, apply, apply. There is that other route of you can create your own path if you're willing to put yourself out there. I do, Ed, and I, and I think, you know, just starting, you know, you need to have a good CV, you need to have a good resume, but you also, you know, this disciplined approach that we've been chatting about, you know, take a step back, look at what's going on in the industry, look at what organisations you may want to work at, get the key people at these organisations, or not necessarily the, the most senior person, maybe people that are in the organisations that um, or maybe two levels above the entry level that you may want to be going into, and then approaching them. You know, so you know there is a sort of two-pronged approach. You know, the traditional one, which is you know have everything ready, good cover letter, CV, resume, but also that creative element of you know how do you be creative, creative in your networking? How how do you even go back to saying well, who knows someone that knows someone where you can get that first mm. meeting? You know, a 20 minute conversation. And to be honest, look, this is going to sound very old fashioned. Don't ever discount who your mother or father or uncle or auntie may know. 
you know, because use your network. Got to take advantage of, of everything you can to get into the sports industry and develop your career. I'm going to be honest, like mine was my tennis coach, as we mentioned before, uh, when I was yeah. a tennis scholar at Wentworth. My first person was my tennis coach, who's on the podcast, yeah. by the way, Paul Brighton. And, right. you know, the rest is history of his career. But my point is, I used at the time when I had very, I'm just listening for the listeners listening, I had a very small network, like I say, under five people. He was probably the first one. And I had a conversation. And this was five years on after he coached me. Yeah. But one thing I do, because this is what I share to my listeners, is all about building that know, like, and trust with people, like, from the get-go, then reaching out when they don't know you, they say they don't like you let, and they don't yeah. trust you at this moment. But I love your thoughts on that, that when you have those curiosity questions, it builds that know, like, and trust yeah. really from the get-go. Um, if you don't mind, I'm gonna we're going to talk about networking now because I always like to share with my listeners how I got connected with my special guests. And honestly, Jamie was liking my stuff on LinkedIn with the podcast, we got on a call and it was so authentic um, from a networking standpoint. We shared names of who we knew and it was such a really positive vibe, just as positive as this podcast, by the way. But there's there's one word you said earlier is being authentic and down to earth. Like with, from a networking standpoint, I know it's certainly obvious. I've had it quite a lot on my show, but how crucial is it? Yes, the job, CV, cover letter, all important. But having those, we talked about, you talked about emotional intelligence, but how important is those networking skills looking back through your entire career through the places you've worked at? Imperative. And, you know, I almost, it's interesting, Ed, because I, I don't think I realised, again, that it was a discipline and a skill set, probably until I was sort of in my mid-30s. And, and again, I guess it goes back to this curiosity being a little bit intangible. But, you know, if you're the type of person that's, that's willing to learn and wants to learn and wants to listen, you know, I think that's the key thing is when, when you are networking, it can't just be a asymmetrical approach. It's got to be it's got to be symmetrical in that, you know, there's a benefit for both sides. You know, so it goes back to what value are you maybe offering as a young graduate to a senior person like myself who's mid 40s you know how do we have that conversation and how do we learn from each other um you know the, the sports world can be quite a challenging and quite a tough place um as the business world can be you know there's a lot of people out there who won't give you the time of day you know if you're not at a certain level but you know you can't be discouraged by that you know, you've got to be quite tenacious in your approach. But, you know, again, just to sort of round off on your question, you know, networking should be a discipline that you're very focused on, but it should also be fun. You know, it should, don't feel down if someone doesn't get back to you, you know, but, but have fun in the research. You know, let's take NFTs. You know, who, who is talking every day about NFTs uh, on LinkedIn, for example? target two or three people see if you can have a conversation with them you might not get a response but hopefully one of those will come off you can have a an, an open conversation and learn from each other um and then just just final point because again it's another you know sort of key part from a book and it was mark mccormack who is obviously the father of the sports industry created img and and he's written a, a wrote a book rather um called what they don't teach you at harvard and one of the best lessons that I took from that book was, you know, Cormac started with one individual, which was Arnold Palmer, the, the, the famous golfer. 
And, you know, he, it was a lawyer and a golfing personality. And what he said was, you know, as, as he progressed in the 60s, he started to meet people. And some of these people became friends. Some of them became business contacts. Some of them he never worked with. Um, but he knew potentially in 20 years' time, things might come back around and they do business together. So it was just that, that simple learning of, you know, be a good person, get to know people, but do it in a genuine way because there may not be a revenue return. There may not be a job at the end of it. But you know what? You may make a good friend for life. So... <laughs> Absolutely. And by the way, that was my first ever book I was given after my inter- after my internship at Benchmark. That was the book I was given. And right. going with Mark McCormack, just to add the story, he had uh, Arnold Palmer, Gary Platt and Jack Nicholas. Like to have those three at that time exactly. was unbelievable to build a whole business around in the really? world of golf. You know, it's and if you haven't read that book, there will be links. You should read it because actually there's a chapter I like in that with time management. He's just yeah. brilliant of how he used his time. Even going to airports, he would find ways to utilize time with traveling yeah. and so on and so forth. So brilliant book and also business book as well. But just going back to where you are now, like out of interest, like we talked about like the being authentic, but there's one thing I want to touch on now is rejection, because like you said, it's important to reach out, but it is reality if people don't get back to you. I always say everybody's busy, but I think the sports industry is so fast-paced. Even I'm learning where I have to re- – I will reply for somebody, but I have to, like – I've learned now not to apologise for being late. I think – let's be honest with us too. Let's, let's give people a real example. There was a period we were trying to get this podcast done, and it just didn't work out in time. I didn't take offence. I don't think Jamie took offence. It's just the reality it is, but – I think when I was younger, let's say when I was 22, it's like, oh, I haven't got a reply yet from Jamie. And you, you take it personally. So I want to touch on your experience on rejection is part of it. It's just being patient. So I love your thoughts on that. Yeah, do you know, Ed, it's a really good question. And, and look, I'll be very honest, you know, rejection can happen at any point in your career. Um, it can, can, can create insecurities. It can create anxiety. And you've just got to, you've got to be really resilient and not allow those negative emotions to potentially impact you because your point is, is very valid. You know, I, you know, my previous job as managing director of a big PR uh, sports PR agency. Every day I would get bombarded with LinkedIn messages, um, especially during lockdown, which was a really tough period for individuals in the sports world who were losing their jobs or people trying to get into. And what I said to myself was, you know, I really want to carve time out to be able to talk to these individuals. Now, I couldn't offer them jobs, unfortunately, but even just in part being able to impart my knowledge and learn from them. So, you know, I do think that there needs to be a little bit more compassion in the industry. But to answer your question about how people should potentially feel, I, I, I do think you cannot get down about it. You know, you've got to, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have, questions in your mind of as to why did this individual not respond to LinkedIn? Why did they not respond to my email? Um, you're going to have to probably get used to it. It's not nice. It's hard. But, you know, life life is challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but if we look at the pandemic, sorry, when you were talking, it was unbelievable time for the sports industry. And if I'm going to... S- go to one because I know the IOC relates to mass participation of like events it was 
unbelievable of the struggle like let's just say london and marathon for for an example you know there's just one example where it it was like a huge domino effect i actually knew people in in my network thank you for the back in work but i knew at the time where they had like 15 years of experience and the job was gone overnight and this is where curiosity be also being mindful is massive so i'm connecting what you're saying where Hopefully you won't have another pandemic, but you just never, never know. So it's what I'm trying to say to listeners, just be really mindful of the people in the industry. They will get back to you. If they don't, don't worry, but just reach out again. Like there's one podcast special guest. It took me two years to get them on the show, but it wasn't because I felt I knew this person was very, very busy. So, and when I did get do the podcast, it was amazing. So um, sorry to butt in, but I just really connect with that point. And if you learn that, the easier it becomes and it's more fun. Meaning when you do the networking, it can just take one conversation to create an opportunity. I loved your thoughts on that. How have you seen one conversation spark whatever that you discuss into actual action into, I don't know, concepts, ideas, campaigns. Yeah. Have you had that before? Just out of interest? I have, you know, it's interesting. Um, even at the moment, Ed, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of consulting and it's actually with someone I knew from years ago. And, you know, he's asked me to look at a strategy. And, and I mean, I guess the lesson there is, you know, I hadn't spoken to this individual probably for about 15 years and we reconnected. You know, we just reconnected. Chance, you know, we looked at each other's LinkedIn, saw an interesting concept. I reached out to him. You know, that's from a sort of creative perspective, and I'm sort of sharing some thoughts there on how they can develop a strategy. From a career perspective, the best example I can probably give is actually my move after the IOC. I actually met the individual that hired me. He was a very important person within the agency that I joined six months into my tenure at the IOC. Now, you know, as I said before, Ed, absolutely loved my time at the IOC. It was probably the best organization I've ever worked at. But I was also having a conversation during that time about my future, you know, and, and what came to fruition after three and a half years at the IOC was my next move, you know, because, you know, I was networking with this individual, who, you know, authentically because they became a friend, you know, so it was a it was sharing things it was learning from this individual it was seeing them at events seeing them at meetings and really building you know what this is just one example and you can do this with a, a number of people um and I, I think what i always used to say to my team at my previous job please never hesitate to come to me if you've been offered a job because i will give you my subjective honest opinion on whether I feel that you should actually take that job because I think it's important for people to develop and for me to be a good leader I need to give you that advice if you come and you tell me I've been offered this and I think you should go for this I'll, I'll be honest and tell you to go for it but keep networking as well you know so if you're an account executive within a, a big sports team you need to be networking you need to be attending events you need to be having conversations it can be daunting and it can be occasionally tough because people you know to your point Ed, people might not get back to you but you've got to be resilient you know and you can't take that as rejection um because just just always be aware put yourself in that other individual's shoes has something happened at home has something happened during the pandemic are they in a tough position 
or are they just busy? <laughs> you know, no, so. no, you're, you're spot on. I'm nodding my head as much as you're nodding your head earlier. You're absolutely spot on. And But the one key thing, I'm just getting to my experience, is you've got to put yourself out there. I've been to networking events where I knew nobody, and I just, just said, just, you know, wear your suit, look smart, be smart. You're more positive yeah. when you are smarter. You get that self-esteem and just put yourself out there. And it's amazing. It just takes one conversation that can, you know, open up doors to more conversations through their network. And for me, it's the friendships. You, you've, you touched on yeah. earlier. I know we're going deep on this networking, but I look back, I've created great friendships. Never, st- haven't some of them I've only met yet in person because they're worldwide. Even quickly today, I interviewed somebody in Australia who was on season two of my podcast, got her back. And I still haven't met her in person, but the values and what she's doing in the industry inspires yeah. me. To, to have that curiosity again, going back to that word. But look, I've really enjoyed this conversation. But Jamie, looking back now, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey so far, looking back right at this moment? Well, in terms of one particular organisation or just the sort of... The whole you, journey itself, my man. I, Ed, I think it's the people I've met, in all honesty. You know, I, I've been really lucky to have met people at every level from different countries, from different organizations who I've learned from, um, but who I can also say have become genuinely good friends. I'll just give you one example. I spent a lot of time in Japan over a period about three and a half years prior to the, the, well, the postponement of the Olympics in 2020. Um, And I've made so many good friends in Tokyo um, who have, come to play golf in Scotland, who we chat to, who I chat to regularly. Not, and, it, and to be honest, it's not even about work now. It's just about personal things. You know, I've been able to go to Japan when we could to experience other areas of, of the country. So I would say it is the people. And I think from the, just to, to finalise or conclude the, the answer, it's just the continuous learning. I'd sort of got that when I did my sports marketing master's and the sports industry is never going to stop. You know, there's a lot of criticism about the sports industry be, being behind. But, you know, it, it's getting there. It's evolving. You know, there's some really smart people, very intelligent people. The thing is, sometimes the sports industry is a bit different to other organizations. I think people need to respect it. It might move a little bit slower, but it is catching up and it is going to get there. And do you know what? People can use that to their advantage and learn and develop and, and put themselves into positions, especially if you're younger, to say, do you know what, I've got these skill sets that are really relevant to where sport is going. That is certainly the attitude, and it relate, relates to my final one, where I always like to finish with an inspirational question. And to be fair, Jamie, you've given quite a lot of knowledge already, so you can feel free to recap. But on, a, on this question, like, what three qualities do you need to literally start a career in the sports industry from your perspective? Um. Good question. I probably will. There will be a little bit of repetition in this, I think, Ed. But I think the first quality is is just be an authentic, good, genuine person. I've said this already. The world can be a really tough place. And you should never get caught up in the politics um, of organisations or or the industry. And, you know, be really true to yourself. um, Have integrity. You know, don't change yourself purely because you're trying to get ahead in the short term you know just be be humble be a good person so that that would be my first quality that I think is imperative to anyone in sport the second one we've spoken a lot about is just continuous learning 
but, but have a structured approach to this because, Ed, you know better than anyone, there's so many good podcasts out there. There's so many good Harvard Business Review articles or McKinsey or Sports Pro. And I mean, you could sit there and go, all I am going to spend my time doing is listening to podcasts. So that you've got to have, I'm going to learn this week, but these are the pod- podcasts that I'm going to be listening to. Obviously, your podcast is number one on that list. I hope so. <laughs> no, I'm joking. There's other great yeah. podcasts, but really quick on that. You should certainly specialize with the podcast in the area you want to work in. That's what I say to people. So Absolutely. that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the final one, Ed, we've spoken a lot about this, is build your network. You know, even if you're even if you're a 22-year-old graduate who feels they know no one, you know, the network starts with maybe Ed or myself. You know, there, there's a starting point. And you know, once you drop that pebble into into the the pond, the ripple star, and it's that sort of butterfly effect. And and you know what? You've probably got a network you don't even think about. So um you know, again, a, a sort of structured, disciplined approach to building your net, network, no matter what age you are. Absolutely. I hope people have enjoyed this conversation, but 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 particularly apply those three tips. Out of interest, how can people connect with you online? They can get me on LinkedIn. Uh, so if they just search for Jamie Carr on LinkedIn, I tend to use that probably more than other platforms. And then on Twitter, it's at JamieDCarr76. That is great to all the listeners listening in. That LinkedIn and Twitter link will be on my website with regards to this podcast. Jamie, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. No, Ed, thank you. And listen, just a, a short note to say, podcast absolutely amazing. Continue the good work. And thank you very much for having me on as a guest. It's hugely appreciated. Wow, what a fantastic podcast chat with Jamie. And I have to say it was a real joy because... When we first got connected, honestly, our first conversation was like this podcast. It was authentic. It was down to earth. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, because honestly, this is what it's all about. It's just real conversations where we can add value. But this time you're listening in. But I hope you've got a better understanding how curiosity can be such a great tool for you with regards to putting yourself out there in the sports industry but most importantly start in conversations with people in the sports industry in the area you want to work in that is vital but bringing something to the table which means an idea or something where you can add value to an organization which they may not have thought of that is what i mean with regards to curiosity and it's my next point which i really enjoyed learning from Jamie was having the right attitude and having that emotional intelligence I sort of couple them together because when you have that in the sports industry particularly with regards to emotional intelligence so being mindful when you communicate with people abroad or understanding different cultures which was fascinating with regards to Jamie's experience at the IOC because that's really when he was a lot more acknowledgeable about understanding culture which can influence a certain business transaction but it starts with just being mindful of where you're going and where you're doing that business and finally from a sports career development standpoint I hope you put those three qualities into place particularly just being authentic and being you I couldn't agree more with Jamie that we're all at different levels with our sports career development right but most importantly you've got to stand by your own values and that is so important that really does lead to being authentic of who you are and what you want to achieve. So I really do hope 
you put some or at least one learning lesson from this podcast into action, let me know on Twitter at edbowers101. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave an honest review. It makes a huge difference to the show. I'll be super grateful. But in the meantime, put that learning action into practice right now and take action. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Jamie said, be curious and be disciplined in what you want to do with an attitude of continuous learning.